On this episode of the Answers on Aging podcast. The one thing that most kids may not know about are where are all these assets? We need to know everything. Like I just mentioned, in order to qualify for Medicaid, you need to be under typically in in most states, it's $2,000. Some states, it's 5000 and some mm-hmm. change or whatever. But there is a number you need to be under. And so we need to know every single asset so we can deal with it. Right. So you need to figure out everything that they own. Welcome to the Answers on Aging podcast. This podcast provides solutions to your questions and commonly faced challenges about caregiving, legal, and financial issues, personal struggles associated with the normal aspects of aging, and the unforeseen obstacles that oftentimes can be life-altering and even devastating. Each episode dissects real life, real-time issues, and will often feature special guests who bring expert-level knowledge and free resources straight to you. This podcast is hosted by certified elder law attorney Todd Watley and licensed nursing home administrator Sarah Scott. Together, these aging experts bring an impressive combined 30-plus years of experience to the table in order to give you all the answers on aging. That is right. This is the Answers on Aging podcast, and my name is Todd Watley. And as always, I am here with my co-host, Sarah Scott. Hey, Todd Watley. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Answers on Aging, the best podcast you could possibly find for all things Answers on Aging. That's right. Hopefully, we're going up the charts a little bit. Hopefully, when they redo that, they'll see that we have all these downloads and Mm -hmm. we are still at it. Maybe we'll move up from number 10. Yeah. Yeah. So one way. Top five. Yeah. That's my goal. Okay. Our listeners, that's you. We're talking to you out there. Um, Please, please share and tell people about this podcast. We sincerely want to help as many people as possible. And the easiest way for y'all to help us with that is by not keeping this hidden treasure all to yourself, but let others enjoy and learn and age as smoothly as possible alongside with you. Yeah. So last week we talked about, you know, the importance of seeing an elder law attorney, particularly if you are aging. And we talked about a changing mindset and, you know, just the importance of seeing a specialist. And so we thought today's episode would be what do you need to prepare mm-hmm. to go see that attorney? You know, I, I, thankfully, I've not needed too many attorneys in my life, but um, I would think you just go to the attorney's office and y'all talk about stuff. Well, yeah. as an elder law attorney, there are very specific things that for us to give you good advice, you need to bring some things in with you. And I think it surprises some people. Yeah. That you don't want to waste time, particularly if the attorney is charging for the initial consult. You want that consult to be as effective and productive as possible. And so today's episode, we're going to go through some things that um, you will need to get ready and bring with you. And I think some things may surprise you just a little bit. I think so, too. And a lot of times, especially in those initial consult calls, when I start asking pretty nosy questions related to finances and what someone's preference is for burial or cremation. They're like, where are you going with this? Mm -hmm. 
I promise we're going to get you somewhere. Just give me the information. Mm -hmm. And the way I explain it to them is, you know, when you do finally sit down with Todd or with your elder law attorney, you want to get your money's worth. Mm -hmm. You want to make it like taught it as productive and efficient as it possibly can be and so not um not being prepared is going to eventually end up costing you more money because mm-hmm. you're probably going to have to go back mm-hmm. once you gather some information so this episode today is going to help articulate what types of pieces of information you need to be prepared to share mm-hmm. When you go see the elder law attorney. Yeah, and when your elder law attorney is amazed by how organized you are in everything that you brought, you say, I learned this on the Answers on Aging podcast. You, sh- right. you should listen and share this with your client. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, initially there is some hesitation because oh, yeah. this age group is very um, secretive. Of their, uh, they're mm-hmm. very private. Mm-hmm. We did a podcast on that. I don't know the number, but you can scroll through. We we mm-hmm. title them pretty um, clearly so that you can see that, particularly if you're the kid trying to get this information from your parents, we give you some tips and pointers on how to do that. But you, as the senior or you as the kid, don't be surprised if there is some initial hesitation as Mm -hmm. to, I don't know that I want to share this, but again, just like Sarah said, you're going to start wasting money and Mm -hmm. it's going to cost you more if you don't do this up front and Mm -hmm. bring this in with you in the very first visit. Yeah. And I also just want to point out that I recently had um, a conversation with my mom about their estate planning for mom and my stepdad and she indicated she wants to you know work with Todd to make sure everything is in order which is great um but she also knows that I'm the initial intake person and so I told her I'm like mom I totally get and appreciate and respect if what you and Roger have in place And if y'all want to keep that private until I absolutely need to know. Um, So, you know, we can skip me being involved in getting all this information if that's what your wishes are. But um, bottom line is you're going to need to basically tell him everything that you guys have. So start preparing for that. And so that was... Another reason that this topic for today's episode came up was just from the firsthand personal conversation I had with my own mother recently about, you know, how to prepare things that we need to have access to or information on. So take notes if you feel the need or check out our show notes um, on the link to the podcast episode today. So what, um, besides that initial hesitation, Todd, what other types of preparation steps do clients need to take? I think one of those things that will surprise you that the elder law attorney will need to know is current medical and mental status. Mm -hmm. People are like, wait, you're a lawyer. You're not my doctor. Well, that's true. But so much of what we do as elder law attorneys depends on your 
medical situation mm-hmm. and particularly your mental situation. Because yes. if you're if your loved one is totally incapacitated and cannot execute documents, well, we're going to go one way. Okay, we need to go to court and get a legal process done to take over. Or if they have documents in place before, we need to know that we're going to be working with the agent under the power of attorney rather than the client themselves, for the most part. Mm-hmm. We need to know that. Yeah. And if if you're worried about long-term care, we need to know medically, physically, how are you? Mm-hmm. If you're on a walker and oxygen and you have moderate dementia, we probably don't have five years, okay? And a lot of our planning does depend, particularly for Medicaid, do we have five years or not? Mm -hmm. And if your medical situation is poor, we may not have five years. And so that tells us we need to go one direction. But if you're up and going and fine and there's really no diagnosis, you know, we don't know that you can make it five years, but we have a pretty good idea we can make it five years. And so we go another direction. And I think that surprises some people is we need to know, not exactly, we don't need to know all your medicines. That is helpful sometimes because that will tell us a diagnosis that you may not quite be aware of, but... We need to know how you're doing physically and mentally. Yes. that Yeah. Don't make the mistake of getting copies of all your medical records and bringing them in to the attorney's office. That's not what we're talking about. Just kind of that snapshot picture of your current health and maybe some family history, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe some things that you could be looking at um, in the future that maybe your mom or your dad had experienced. So yeah, just a really broad but accurate picture of your physical health and your mental health are really important pieces to this elder law puzzle that can, like Todd said, help steer in the right direction. Yeah. We also need to know what your current legal documents are. Yes. You know, many times they were done 20, 30 years ago. And okay. in a different state, maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, probably those need to be updated. We did a case recently, and we talked about this last week. I had a lady come in very recently that had documents done a month ago. Yeah. And they were not good. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we had to completely redo those. And so we need to know what your current documents are. If there's a will, if there's a trust, if there's powers of attorney, mm-hmm. we need to see those. If at all possible, sometimes people are like, I know they're out there, but we can't find them. Yeah. Okay, well... We'll start from scratch and do new ones. But if you do have some out there, and particularly if the person is incapacitated Mm -hmm. and we're going to be dealing with an agent, we have to know what that power of attorney says. We need to know what the trust says. If we're going to be dealing with a successor trustee, we need to know officially who those people are. We do. And it's ideal to be able to get our hands on those existing legal documents prior to the actual appointment. Again, going back to that, making sure you've got all the information that's available before walking into this appointment so that it can be as productive and you get your money's worth. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to say, well... I couldn't find this, or I know what's out there, but I'm not sure who has it now. Do your homework as best you can 
try to get your fingers on those existing legal documents and to the elder law attorney for review prior to the actual meeting. Yeah, that that is extremely helpful. And I would think any elder law attorney would spend a little bit of time looking through those. And don't be surprised if they only spend about five minutes, because mm-hmm. if you've been doing this as long as I have, probably, and I'll just tell you, a trust, probably 95% of that trust is boilerplate language yeah. that really doesn't matter today. I can jump straight to the parts that I need today, the current trustee and the distribution scheme. Mm-hmm. I need to, to know those two things and I can do that in about three minutes. Okay. Yeah. So don't be offended that if I did not look at your documents prior to the meeting in that meeting, I can spend about three minutes and um, figure that out pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next piece of information that needs to be present in this meeting, hopefully before if possible, is any source of income and how much you and or your spouse make mm-hmm. each month. Mm-hmm. Not so Todd can determine his fee based on how much money you're bringing in, <laughs> yeah. but so kind of like with the picture of mental and physical health, we can gauge what direction we need to go to or mm-hmm. toward by having that information and knowing, okay, they will very easily qualify for long-term care, um, through Medicaid or, you know, there might be some steps we need to take before the nursing home days happen mm-hmm. so that we can make it easier once that process begins. Yeah. I mean, VA and Medicaid look at the income of both spouses and, and that comes into play as in how much of a benefit we can get for you. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes, particularly for dealing with the kids, they don't know exactly what all mom and dad have. Mm -hmm. And so looking at the income, we can see, oh, here's some money coming from this account consistently. That's probably an IRA. And so that tells us we need to go look elsewhere for this IRA to see how big it is and Mm -hmm. what it's doing out there. So Mm -hmm. it's the income is important for planning, but it, it also tells us or gives us a hint as to what else is out there. Right. And if you are just kind of starting to take on this caregiver role, or maybe it's a married couple and the husband has always managed the finances and now he's slapped with a diagnosis of dementia and it's all on the wife. One way that you can't, it's kind of daunting, but go through a full year of bank statements and look at where this income or these deposits are coming from it's it's really nitpicky but it will give you a whole lot of information if you have no idea where to even start yeah yeah that's a great point and it's a point that i did want to make at some point and particularly when we talk about assets a lot of kids don't know what all's out there and so one way to do that almost always and I think what what frustrates us most is life insurance. Yeah. Back in the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. you know, there were door-to-door salesmen who would come by and say, hey, $500 worth of insurance can bury your loved one. And, and so, you know, 
for only $4 a year, you can have this insurance policy for $500 that will pay for your burial. Well, back in the 60s, that was probably true. Today, it's not so true, but there's probably a cash value there that can that will cause a problem eventually. And we need to know what that is. And so it's a pain in the rear, but typically that payment comes out once a year and you'll find it if you go through a year's worth of bank statements, you go through every single transaction. <laughs> okay. But Daunting. you'll you'll see this four dollar withdrawal to some strange place. The bank knows where that went to. You can call the bank and say, hey, on this date, there was this transaction. We need to know where that money went to. And they can at least get a phone number and probably probably a company name so that you can now call and say, hey, what is this? Oh, this is a $500 life insurance policy that has $800 worth of cash value to mm-hmm. it. Well, if you didn't know about that and you get someone just under typically $2,000, you think they're qualified, but this $800 in cash value now throws them over the limit and they're disqualified and Mm -hmm. it throws a huge kink in things. And so please understand that's important and we need to know that. Yes. Okay. Um, And then also if the properties um, that you or your family members own have timber acreage, mineral oil, or gas rights Mm -hmm. on them, even if it's a teeny tiny, like $14 check every year, Mm -hmm. those pieces of information are also incredibly important to have. It's worth all the phone calls or all the legwork that you've got to do to obtain that information, but please try to have all of that information, including those specific types of rights, for the property that you or mom or dad own so that we're getting the full picture. Yep. All right. So let's move on to assets. Mm -hmm. Okay. The one thing that most kids may not know about are where are all these assets? We need to know everything. Like I just mentioned, in order to qualify for Medicaid, you need to be under typically in in most states, it's $2,000. Some states, it's 5000 and some mm-hmm. change or whatever. But there is a number you need to be under. And so we need to know every single asset so we can deal with it. Right. So you need to figure out everything that they own. Mm-hmm. Okay. And just like with that life insurance, it's, it is sometimes difficult. So yeah, go ahead. Well, and even if it's not completely paid for, mm-hmm. if it's still in their names, mm-hmm and it's got a mortgage, we still need to know yeah, about it. We need to know yeah, everything. It doesn't mean just the things that are fully paid for. Yeah. Yeah. So on investment accounts, your their investment account is either qualified or it's non-qualified. What? What? A qualified account means that it fits under the rules for IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, things like that, that money went into it that the IRS said, okay, you don't have to pay income tax on this money since you put it into this qualified plan. And so the money that is there has not had income tax paid for it unless it is a Roth IRA, but still. Typically, a qualified plan has not had income tax paid on the money that was invested, and pulling that out results in a 
tax situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if mom and dad have $800,000, we don't need to just know that it's $800,000. We need to know what percentage of that or the exact number of dollars that are qualified and the amount of money that is not qualified. Mm -hmm. Now people think, oh, well, this money's in an annuity. So therefore it's not qualified. That is not true. Mm -hmm. Any investment account, a CD, a, I don't think a savings account can, but a CD, a, an annuity, a stock account, all of those can be qualified. And it will typically say in the top of that, it will have the words IRA in it somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, somewhere on that form, it will say IRA. And so if you see IRA on there, you know that is pre-tax money. And therefore, that is different than non qualified money. So we don't just need to know, oh, they have $800,000. No, we need to know 600000 of that is qualified IRA money. $200,000 is not because that will change our planning substantially. Okay. I see on your notes you have hidden assets. So I have a family member who has a safe with a bunch of silver mm-hmm. in it hidden away. Is that what you're talking about? Well, sort of. That is one thing. It's hidden assets are typically assets that you don't know about, that you've forgotten about. Okay. One of the worst situations is when mom and dad now have severe dementia Uh and they don't remember everything that they have. And that's where those one year of bank statements, you got to go through Uh line by line and Uh figure all those out. So you did bring up a sticky point. So the Medicaid applications do ask how much cash do you have? Okay. Okay. So you should fill out your application, honestly, and list all of your assets, which include cash. And silver. And silver. Yes, that is money. Now, one interesting component of that is coin collections. Mm -hmm. I've always had trouble with those because a coin collection, yeah, it's money, okay? Mm -hmm. It's pennies and nickels and quarters and silver dollars. But if you have a certain silver dollar, it's not worth just a dollar. It's worth, you know, if it's imperfect or if it's a certain very low, you know, coin collecting is just one of those things. And, And so... A non-countable asset under the Medicaid rules is personal property, Mm -hmm. all right? They don't have titles to it. You know, it's just your stuff in your house is not counted because they're like, okay, you can have that. And so this is one of those issues you need to probably bring up with your elder law attorney to Mm -hmm. say, okay, this coin collection, if you look at it based on pennies and nickels and quarters, it's probably worth $300, Okay. Yeah. But it's worth probably $100,000 because of its unique status. And so your elder law attorney needs to figure out how to value that or how to discuss it um, or how to even bring it up or not bring it up. Would you say that if this coin collection is insured, you probably should be listing it? Yeah. Okay. Because there's some proof out there that it, that it exists. That it exists. 
Yeah. And then the other issue is who who owns the safe? You know, do the kids kind of t- technically own it? You know, did you give the safe and whatever's in it to the kids more than five years ago? If so, mm-hmm. then it's not yours anymore. It's the mm-hmm. kids and it's past the five-year look back. So therefore, you don't have to talk about it. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, Okay, next. Real estate, other than the home, is another hidden asset that can surprise people. Mm -hmm. You know, we live in northwest Arkansas, and we have a community here that has, like, I don't know, Bella Vista has 10 golf courses, probably. Mm -hmm. It's a golf course community. It's a senior community, typically. That's how it was designed. And so you can own what's known as a membership lot. Uh-huh. You can pay three to $500 for this plot of land. You can't build on it. It's but teeny tiny. Teeny usually. tiny. But you own it, so therefore you get to be part of this community and play golf and swim in the pools and do everything. And so membership lots are always a concern because they do have value mm-hmm. and sometimes the kids forget about it mm-hmm. again you go through the bank statements and you can see oh here's i think it's up to like 19 dollars a month is going to this association that's their membership dues and so that means something that means that's connected to some other asset yeah. you need to go back and figure out what that's related to and if there is a membership lot you have to include it as an asset since it is not their home. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. okay. What about when, uh, and I know when my brother and I were just babies, my dad took out a small life insurance. I think it was like a Gerber mm-hmm. life insurance sure. policy yeah, for was, each of us. Uh-huh. Um, and we didn't even know about it. In fact, I didn't even mm-hmm. know that he had done that until my brother passed away and he was talking about the death benefit and he, Oh, by the way, you know, here's, here's your policy. Mm -hmm. Um, things like that can be hidden assets, but Mm -hmm. when it comes to life insurance specifically, Mm -hmm. what should the listeners know about? Okay. With a life insurance policy, there are two values. Mm -hmm. There is the death benefit, which is typically written on the policy to say, when this person dies, we will pay $100,000. 500000 a million, whatever. So there is a death benefit, but there is also cash value. The cash value could be zero, but many times on whole life or universal life policies, you pay more than the cost of insurance. And so therefore, this policy is building up value. There is money being invested uh-huh. and and is there. And so Many times with a life insurance policy, it, it may be a $100,000 death benefit, but it could have $10,000, $20,000, $50,000 of cash value. Mm-hmm. It is the cash value that Medicaid's going to look at, mm-hmm. okay, because you could cash that in and get your cash value back. Hence the word. So that's something you need to figure out. And we as attorneys really need to know that. And you need to bring that in to that initial meeting so we can know there's this money out there. It's it's not money in your hands, but it's an asset mm-hmm. that we need to deal with. Yeah. Um, another thing that I think you really need to think about and have a discussion about before you go into this meeting, because it's most likely 
going to come up when you meet with the elder law attorney is let's say we're putting together you know our distribution plan for once my husband and I pass away and let's say you've got three children and you want can I go back real quick oh yeah one more hidden asset real quick oh. is jointly owned assets oh if your parents own something with someone else, and I, I see this typically with old family-owned property, mm-hmm. real estate typically, the family farm, yeah. the parents died, and now your parent and their siblings, they all co-own this property. Mm-hmm. You may forget about it. You, it just may not be an issue. But if they are a joint owner, you need to look at how they jointly own this property and their interest in this property could be an asset that you don't think about. It's Mm -hmm. not money, but it's still something you need to deal with. And we as the elder law attorney may need to transfer it or do something with it. So ask your parents or, you know, please you figure out, do you jointly own something with your siblings, with someone else? Did you buy life insurance policy with someone else or do you have a bank account that your name is on Mm -hmm. say your child is single and they added your name to their bank account just for convenience medicaid's going to count that but you can prove i've never put any money into this bank account you should not count that against me you can prove it's not your money but initially if your name is on any bank account they're going to say that is your money Okay, so those are the hidden assets. So now, Mm -hmm. please talk about it. Amazes me, people come in to see me, and I say, "Okay, where do you want your stuff to go?" And they're like, "Boy, I don't know." Yeah. Well, why did you come? (laughs) Did you not think we were going to talk about that? Uh That is a big issue, and particularly, you know, and I would say probably eighty-five percent of everybody's just equally to the kids. Okay, great. But it's those 15%, they're like, yeah, there's some issues there. Uh Well, sitting in the room with the attorney is not the time to particularly talk about that. You need to kind of hash that out. The attorney's not going to solve a family dispute for you. Thank you. You need to walk (laughs) into the office saying, okay, we want this percentage to this kid, this percentage to this kid, and be prepared to tell the attorney why you're doing those percentages. Not that we have to know, but if we're going to defend your documents after you're gone, we need to have in our notes, Mm -hmm. you loaned $50,000 to this kid. They never paid it back. They never bring it up. And so therefore they're getting $50,000 less than the other kids. Mm -hmm. Here's the reason why. And so when you die and that kid says, wait a second, I'm getting 50,000 less than everybody else. It's like, remember the loan that you never paid back? They're like, oh yeah. Remember that business we invested in that you totally sunk? Yep. Yep. That's where your 50,000. That's why your inheritance (laughs) is smaller. So please talk about that. Talk about that. And then also, I know it's uncomfortable to discuss, but if you're, if one of your three kids passes away before you do, do you want the two surviving kids to absorb that third? Or do you want, you know, if that third kid has their own children, Mm -hmm. um, do you want their children to get that third? So having those kind of uncomfortable, awkward conversations is also going to equal a more successful and productive meeting with the elder law attorney if it happens before you get there. And 
You know, the one topic that ends so many meetings abruptly is when I ask a couple, they're there doing their planning. What if you die? Do you want this trust or this estate plan to become revocable or do you want it to become irrevocable? Uh Meaning, what if your spouse remarries? Do you want them to be able to share your money Mm -hmm. with the new spouse? Yeah. Or not, and it's it's always the huh. it's not always it's typically the women who are most upset by that. <laughs> I don't want that new woman coming in and yeah. <laughs> getting my yeah. jewelry or taking money from my yeah. kid. And, and so sometimes, if you don't talk about that, if if you don't think about okay, what if one of us dies? Do we want this person to have free access? to the money or do we want them to have restricted access to the money? So that's something you need to talk about. Mm -hmm. Do you trust your spouse to protect the money Mm -hmm. or do you want some protections there to protect it from your spouse? Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. So just some helpful tips today for you out there who maybe have not been with working with an elder law attorney quite yet, but you're starting to think about it and really want to make the most out of that meeting, here are some tips to help get you ready and to also help kind of take away the shock value of these pretty nosy questions that you're about to get asked. Yep. Yep. All right. We hope this has been helpful. Please drop us a note. We do get a few notes every now and then through email. Please email us any questions that you have or show topics. We would love to do show topics that are requested and we knows answering that we know is answering a issue out there. So please let us know. And as always, please share with your friends and tell everybody about us. That's right. And come back next Wednesday for a fresh new episode of Answers on Aging. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Answers on Aging podcast with Todd and Sarah. Be sure to hit subscribe and keep tuning in each week as they bring you helpful, useful, and easy to find resources for making life as we age as simple and enjoyable as possible. For more information about this episode, visit AnswersOnAgingPodcast.com. Click on the show notes tab and take advantage of the free resources right there at your fingertips. To see Todd and Sarah live, check out our Facebook page, Answers on Aging, to catch a live feed of their radio show every Wednesday morning from 9 to 10 o'clock. Todd and Sarah welcome feedback and love to answer your questions. So please, let them know what you think by leaving a review and share with your friends and family. 